Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Venture Property Podcast, and thank you very much for listening. I know you're all very, very busy people, so I really appreciate the fact that that you take the time to listen to these podcasts. And like I always say, even if you don't, I'd still do them because I absolutely love interviewing these people and learning from them. Today, the sponsor for this podcast is Land Insight. Land Insight sponsors this podcast and they are an absolutely fantastic piece of kit for property developers and property people looking to find sites, build comparables, and do everything they need. So today, I am really excited because I have Daniel Priestley from Dent on the podcast. Daniel, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. No, I am very, very excited. Why don't you tell people who you are, um, where you come from, everything? Just a brief synopsis of who you are. Brilliant. So I'm probably best known as an author. I wrote four books uh, on entrepreneurship that have um, been published all over the world. uh, And they're all about the entrepreneurial journey. Um, What I do throughout the day is I run an entrepreneur training uh, program or training organization that actually does something called an accelerator program for entrepreneurs. Uh, So we have offices in seven cities around the world. We work with some of the world's most celebrated uh, and award-winning and successful entrepreneurs who mentor the rising stars of business. Um, And one of the the flagship programs that we run is something called the Key Person of Influence Program, where um, entrepreneurs build their businesses by building their personal brand. Yes. Well, how smooth are you? It would be a bit weird if I wasn't, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) What an answer as well. Um, So I know that you're an absolute expert at brand building and helping people build their brand. So why do you think that that brand building is so important in today's social media age, digital age, etc. Well, uh, we live in the world's most noisy economy ever, the noisiest time in history. You know, essentially, people from uh, anywhere in the world are able to contact and, and connect and to make an impact with your marketplace. So if we went back not too far you know, in the past, maybe 30, 40, 50 years, um, it was highly likely that if you ran a business, it was a local business, um, you had a local five to ten mile radius, and essentially, people in your local area were only interested in who's the best local provider. So, let's yep. say you're in a, you know, if you're a, if you're an accountant, the only people who are interested in the five mile radius are thinking, well, who are the other accountants in this same area? And that's you, know, you might have had twelve people to compete with. Um, today, there would be accountants from all over the world who do podcasts and videos and books and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, who are all basically reaching out and, and creating a very, very, very globally noisy marketplace. Um, so it's important to have cut through. It's important to be the type of person who um, who gets noticed. And there's as it poses a great challenge, but it also poses a great opportunity. So, you know, the great opportunity is you can be the, the person who has clients all over the world and who has an impact with people that you've never even met. So building a personal brand is helpful from that perspective. The other thing uh, is that you know, personal brand is probably the most effective type of brand, um, you know, as far as cost to benefit uh, analysis. If you think about uh, big brands like you know that that are faceless brands or you know, big brands that um, you know that have got billions of dollars to spend, uh, it's it's a very very expensive game. You know, it's a funny one. I ask people all the time what is the first color of the letter G in Google on the logo, the Google logo? Um, do, you, do you know what it is, Ryan? No. Oh, hang on. Is it, I'm going to go with blue. 
Not a bad guess. Are you sure? Now you've got me panicking. I'm sticking to my guess, Blue. Yeah, well, yeah, well that's a good guess. You're, you're actually right. And when I do this in front of a, an audience, um, most people uh, get confused. There's probably only about 10 to 20% of the audience who actually uh, feel confident that, um, that the answer is that the G is blue. And, what, you know, this is a logo that you've seen tens of thousands of times or a brand you've connected mm-hmm. with tens of thousands of times. And, um, and that's how, you know, pretty average we are at um, thinking about uh, those, you know, those kind of things. And yet, you know, when we meet someone once or twice, uh, you know, we, we connect with them a lot more quickly. Um, you know, we connect with faces and voices and personalities because we're hardwired to do that. Mm. Um, you know, and all, the, all of the social networks are designed for personal brands to scale. Um, that's what they're there for. They're not, they're kind of there as an afterthought for, for the businesses to have a profile. But really, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all of that, they're, they're there for people and for faces and voices. Um, and then you look at the big examples, you know, uh, Tesla versus Porsche. So Tesla is a, you know, brand that has a personal brand attached to it, uh, Elon Musk. Porsche is a brilliant company with a great product and great innovation team, but they don't have any real personal brands. No one really mm. knows who, who the CEO is uh, at the moment. Um, and, uh, and you can see how much cut through, uh, Tesla has compared to the rest of the marketplace. Tesla's just come out as being the fastest growing and the, you know, the number one small car, uh, company in, uh, in the U S they've just basically, they've cut through BMW, Mercedes, Audi, uh, to become the, uh, the, the luxury small car of choice, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, they've got a massive valuation much, much greater than uh, the ratios that you'd see with traditional car companies that are faceless. And a huge part of their success comes down to the fact that, you know, people want to connect with Elon Musk and his personal brand. Hmm. I completely agree with that. And if you look at, I mean, one of the great examples of this, I think, is Gymshark. Gymshark is probably one of the fastest growing companies in the UK. And that has been built off the back of this personal brand. They found influencers on, on Instagram and they brought them in and they've mm. created stories around that. Do you see, yeah. are you going to, do you think we'll see more and more companies following this sort of influencer and micro influencer sort of way of marketing and, and bringing people together, sort of creating a mini group of influencers and then pushing their brand out? Yeah, so a number of our clients are using that strategy at the moment, and it's yeah. it's a really effective when when executed well. It's a really effective strategy. So, you know, you you all over the you know the marketplace are people who've got ten thousand followers, twenty thousand followers. Um, so what you would classify as micro influencers, and um, and these micro influencers sometimes have incredibly loyal followings. Um, yeah. So in, engaging with micro influencers is a really powerful strategy that um you know you, you obviously need to engage with a few of them but the good news is is someone else has already gone out and built a a following and a community um so there's you know there's there's a huge benefit in being able to find a relationship with that person that works for, the, for you and for them um where they can be talking about who it is that, that you do one of the ways that makes it easier is that if your company has a personal brand um yep. who can who can be positioned alongside you know the other person yeah. Have you got any tips for people approaching those micro-influencers about how they can start to build that relationship? Because I know a lot of people ask me that 
um, oh, well, how am I going to, how do I pitch it? How do I um, speak to them? And I know how I would do it, um, but I just wonder how you would um, position that. Well, the, no- the number one thing is to make them look good. Um, you know, the micro-influencer wants to look good in, in the eyes of their community. They want to be recommending something that's of high quality. Um, they want to, you know, be recommending something that's innovative, something that's, um, you know, insightful. So essentially you want to emphasise the benefits of, of how this particular endorsement or product um, relationship or, you know, a, a affiliate relationship actually enhances the, the personal brand of the person who's doing the re- recommending, um, you know, and, and the more you approach it from how does this make them look good, uh, the more it's an easy, it's an easy opportunity. Hmm. I like that a lot. I'm literally, I'm covering so many, writing so many notes down on a piece of paper in front of me right now. Um, you, you know, you can listen to it back, right? Yes, I can, but I, I, bought, <laughs> I, I was 30 recently and I've bought myself a pen. And I'm I'm now finding myself writing on purpose just to use this just this to use pen. the pen. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it a is it a Mont Blanc pen or something it is like a, that? It is a Mont Blanc. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I love I I love writing with Mont Blanc pens. I um I I've always bought myself Mont Blanc pens, but I started losing them um it regularly. You know, uh, and one of the things I decided to do is just use it for two or three months and then give it to somebody, and um. And actually, that's that's been that's been brilliant because as soon as you sit there and say, "I'm going to give this pen to somebody," it makes you look for who's someone really special who shows up in your world, and you look yeah. for that mo- that moment. So you know, um, some of the some of the things have been you know when, when a client has um, achieved a really great milestone, and I'll say, you know what, I'd really love to celebrate that milestone by giving you my personal Mont Blanc pen. And people go, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I really like that as well because so when you buy a, when I bought this pen, nobody else had used it, which was obviously great. But if to, to use a pen that somebody else had used, I like that a lot because it's like, well, what great ideas did they have maybe sat on a train jotting down with this pen? Um, exactly and and it was it was a great thing because rather than me being worried about losing them because i would always lose them um i must have lost over a thousand pounds worth of pens in my time um (laughs) and uh but rather than being worried about that i just i just thought you know what i I, on average i lose them every four months so i might as well give them away every three months (laughs) that is very smart and as well that's building that personal brand isn't it it's building that connection with these people um and it, it helps everybody yeah it's good it's a lot of fun and it's yeah. fun to, it's it's really fun to see people's reaction when you give them a Mont Blanc oh yeah well everybody knows that it's the it's the gold standard is there anything else like that that you do I'm just interested oh, to know I, now I, I do all sorts of you know I, I'm always doing weird things as you know like that um you know, a lot of what we do is is um, around the charitable giving side of things as well. You know, we we host a lot of uh, charitable events. We introduce people to to new charities uh, quite regularly. Um, we package donations in with all of our products and services. You know, so that's you know that's some that's that's a really brilliant thing that um, that I've always you know I always endorse that businesses mm. do more charitable giving. Yeah, and. It- 
just I'm just picking up on some of those things now, and I know that what you've done really well as well is you've got a really good team. I spoke to part of your team ages last year actually. Um, I can't remember what it was for, um, but I spoke to a really nice lady over email, um, and I just found that she was so fun even the way she came across over email which can be quite monotonous and she actually sent me a copy of the key person of influence which i inhaled on a plane Brilliant. how how have you built that team and what do you look for in people when you're building a team because they all seem to be quite happy people um so yeah, yeah. how have you done that yeah, we have the, we have a very vibrant team. Um, there's about fifty people working in the group across across the countries, um, uh, and by and large, they're uh, you know we certainly have our down days, but we um, by and large they're a good, happy, uh, vibrant team. It's very lucky. What we do is actually really fun. So you know we're we're fortunate that um, that we you know we basically we're not digging ditches. We're we're um, we're out building inspiring companies with our clients. Um, and you know, it involves media and fundraising and, um, you know, technology and all those kind of fun things. So, you know, pretty much everyone feels pretty stoked that they get to do this every single day. Um, our values of our company are to be brave, to have fun and to make a dent. So it's, it's actually in baked into the DNA of the values. Um, and we turn those into, um, training days. So we have a brave day where we do a high ropes course together and we have a fun day you know where we uh, our next our next fun day is that we're going axe throwing um oh, wow so there's a company that uh that gives you little tomahawk axes and sets up these targets and you all have to learn how to throw an axe um you know so we do that sort of stuff and then we do dent days where we do like charitable you know we might um do something with a homeless shelter or um recently we went out to a um a conservation center and did uh we, we did fixing of a water irrigation system you know so we do you know we do lots of um really fun and exciting brave fun dent days mm. um and uh yeah so that's that's baked into the year so we'll do a couple of those we'll do three or four of those every year each city each each team that we've got um yeah so mm. if you're not having if you're not having fun you're not living the values of the company basically yeah i really like that and I like the fact because I see so many companies, especially now, and I've always, always been entrepreneurial. So I always look at how things, how companies do things. And I always think it's not actually difficult to, to bring those kinds of things into an organization, no matter what size organization it, it is, that actually improve the morale of your staff, improve the environment. And then as a result of that, you get better output from your staff and everybody has a lot more fun. Um, so I like that. I like that you do that. Just picking up on what you said about tech. What is the sort of tech? How does teching? How is it ingrained in your company? How do you use it, etc.? Because I'm a huge geek when it comes to technology. Like I will automate as many things as I can. I will use as much tech as possible to get the best out of every situation. Yeah. So I mean, we you know recently um, recently a technology entrepreneur. It's basically said to me, uh, "Oh, you know, your business isn't a tech business." And I said, "Why don't Why don't we sit down and have a coffee, and I'll I'll show you some of the technology that we use." And at the end of the meeting, they were like, "Oh my god, you know, this is a tech business." And I went, "Yeah, well, you know, it's a people business, but it, uh, you know, we use a lot of technology. We have an incredibly high revenue per employee 
because most of most of the functional things happen through technology. Um, so we have, you know, ecosystems upon ecosystems of, of technology, everything from, you know, CRM systems and blogs and, um, you know, video, you know, publishing media and, and, um, uh, and that sort of stuff, right through to the scorecarding system that we use where people fill in our scorecards online and that gives them the exact type of content that's relevant for their business. Um, we use um, chatbots, uh, you know, to help direct people to various point, you know, different pieces of content. Internally, we have lots of great dashboards um, that tell us when we're on track or off track um, and highlight opportunities. Um, yeah, so essentially all of that kind of stuff just makes the business run really smoothly. Mm. Um, you, you need a small, you know, a much smaller team to, to, to get a lot more done. Yeah, I completely um, we agree. Also, we also have a technology development company as part of the group. So, um, so technology uh, in Milton Keynes is a group of twelve, uh, you know, super geeks who, um, you know, who just, you know, they work across all of our clients' businesses, and they just build amazing technology. So we we reap the benefit of that. We've got twelve people who are, if they've got any downtime, we can be. Um, you know, we can be building building stuff for our business as well. And we mm. also, you know, because so technology works with uh, hundreds of clients, they get to see what, you know, what's the best strategies and they absorb all of that into a central kind of um, reservoir of great strategies and great technology. So they build tech projects for our clients and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and all, you know, they're constantly evolving and learning. Mm. And that's going to be real, sort of real world. And you've got pe- real solving real world problems in businesses, and then you've got the you've got the businesses to beta test it and to give you that feedback. Yeah, um, which is obviously a huge help. You mentioned their content. Now, I've got a couple of businesses away from property, the uh, the membership websites, and content is so key for those businesses. Uh, well, and I think, hang on, I'm going to ask you. So do you think content is key for every business? Yeah, absolutely. There's no there's no business I can think of that, that shouldn't, you know, that wouldn't benefit from having a, a brilliant content library. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a discovery phase that people go through with buying anything. Um, and it's whether they're buying a haircut or whether they're buying a property um, or whether they're investing money or if they're starting a business, they go through a discovery phase. And essentially... The companies that win the business, and this is backed by a huge amount of data. Uh, so recently, a company crunched a million sales calls um, that were recorded by a, a huge call center, and they took in uh, several different types of sales and different types of products. And what the data absolutely, this was machine learning, um, uh, you know, talking who's doing the listing, what types of questions are being asked, um, how does the person respond. It actually crunched all the data. It transcribed millions of calls and analysed them. Um, and what the, what the um, feedback was is that closing sales is almost irrelevant, that basically they found that um, successful and unsuccessful closing calls look almost identical. Mm. Um, what, what causes people to uh, actually buy or not buy is what happens early in the sales cycle. So what they absolutely discovered was that um, people who had uh, been online and looked at content, uh, people who had uh, been given lots of information early on, 
people who were able to um, see case studies and stories and examples. Those were the people who were buying. And it really didn't matter whether you were asking tough closing questions or if you were um, just, you know, just asking a fairly soft closing question. Essentially, what mattered most statistically was what had happened early in the journey, not late in the journey. Um, wow. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, especially in the world where we live now, where, you know, people, people can Google you straight away and up you pop and they can read all of your stories. They can read your case studies. They know a lot about you. Um, and, and I found it as well when we do a, a sales push on, on the website and, you know, a lot of the feedback, we try and do it with questions to get them to respond and, and to interact with us. And a lot of the times it's, oh, yeah, I've been reading your podcasts and blogs are amazing. I think it's so good. You provided so much value. And then it's, oh, actually, yeah, I'm going to sign up. Um, one question that a lot of people ask me is where to start? I know I need to build a personal brand. What platform do I pick? How do I start? What do I write about? What do I talk about? All those kinds of things. So I'm now going to pose that question to you. Yeah, so um, the, 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 the place to start is with your central message. Uh, essentially, you need to figure out what is it you're trying to say to people? What problem are you trying to solve? Why are you solving it in a unique way? Um, you know, your background, your story, your you know, your reason for existing as a business. That's the kind of deep work that you need to do in order to come up with really good quality content. Um, yep. The marketplace is educated enough now that they can tell if anything's superficial, um, uh, you know, they can tell that, that it's not, you know, that it's not uh, quality content, that it's been kind of generated for the purposes of purely just, uh, you know, purely and simply just making some sales or something like that. So you want to... You want to do a bit of deep deep dive digging um, and then you want to translate that into um, into content that you really feel positions you as the expert in that particular space. So knowing what niche you want to be uh, associated with and what industries you want to be associated with, uh, you know, that's the most important, um, you know, starting point. Um, as far as then creating a lot of content, uh, you know, some of the, let me give you, you know, I've given you the deep philosophical answer. Let me also give you some of the um, kind of uh, data-driven answer. There, there's a website called um, Answer the Public, and that website will allow you to see what people Google search in relationship to your niche in your industry. So if you basically enter some keywords into that website, it will tell you these are the top questions that people ask about that. So a, re a really great place to start is to then have a look at what questions people are asking and then formulate really deep and clear under you know deep deep and clear answers to what people are wanting to know. Well, I like that because what I used to do is go to YouTube, find some competitors uh, in my niche, and then see the questions that were being asked underneath their videos, and then start to formulate that. I'm definitely as soon as I get off this call, I'm going straight to that website. <laughs> so you you've seen a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, and you've helped a lot of entrepreneurs. Is there any trends that you've seen in those kinds of people that are similar throughout all entrepreneurs? Uh, yeah, so the the very clear trends with um, with people who are successful in business is that um, they double down on the value that they have. So yep. 
let me start with the unsuccessful ones. The unsuccessful ones are always chasing the fad. They're always chasing the trend. So they're saying, um, oh, Bitcoin's, Bitcoin's just hit $20,000. It must be amazing. So I'm going to get into Bitcoin. And <laughs> you, say, you, know, you say, what background do you have in Bitcoin? You know, and I say, well, you know, nothing really. Um, and the people who are doing very, very well in Bitcoin, so we have clients who are doing incredibly well in Bitcoin. Uh, one of them was doing banking reform in 2008 and was looking for alternative payment methods throughout 2009 and was literally turned up at Occupy, um, Occupy London movement and started giving talks to the people who were in the Occupy camp about capitalism and how capitalism needs to change and how payment systems are at the core of it. Um, and then he wrote a book called Bank to the Future. And then Bitcoin came along and actually he got in when it was you know a tiny amount of money because he saw it as an amazing technology. And sure enough, he made millions and millions and millions of dollars because mm. he was in it. He was in very early and and um, and made a lot of money. But this is someone who had an incredibly long-standing background in the field. And the other gentleman I know who's doing very well in Bitcoin was the ex-head of strategy for Visa. Um, you know, so he was looking at payment systems and has been for the last 15, 20 years, has always been looking at, you know, what are the different ways to... To, you know, to use technology to make payments more effectively um, and discovered Bitcoin very early in the piece. And, um, you know, so, so you're talking about people who've got long-standing backgrounds. They're doubling down on what they're good at. They're doubling down on what they know as opposed to jumping on the, the moving bus or trying to jump on the moving bus. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing too is that, um, you know, they value their reputation. So they, they'll always make decisions based on what's best for my reputation, not, not what makes a very short-term win. Um, and they're actively building their brand and their reputation. Um, so, you know, they're very focused on publishing content and having great quality products. Um, a huge, a huge uh, piece of what makes entrepreneurs successful is a dedication to quality over, um, over you know, getting paid. So there's almost a, you know, there's almost a maxim of if I focus on quality, I'll get scale. Um, if I focus on scale, I'll sacrifice quality. Mm. Um, so, so the entrepreneurs who do very well tend to build the best products um, and, and, and do, do the best, they do the best job of it. And then as a result of being really damn good at what they do, they, get, they achieve scale. Um, and then the entrepreneurs who just want to have a million clients <laughs> don't create anything of quality, so they don't ever scale. Yeah, and have a ridiculous churn rate as well, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And and very quickly, people are saying nasty things about them, yeah. um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Hmm. Um, now, I'll, I'll say a few additional things. Uh, the entrepreneurs who succeed are good at sales. Um, hmm. You know, they know they know how to create a sales process. They don't expect people to just discover them and buy. They don't, you know, one, <laughs> of, the, one of the things that... Um, one of the things that I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggling with, especially in the UK, is this belief that if I just have enough teas and coffees with people, then eventually, you know, I'll do some business. And, um, you know, and that doesn't work either. We love the coffee shops, don't we? Yeah, lots of, lots of tea. You know, tea will solve everything. So yeah. it's one of those things that, um, uh, yeah, I, I find that, you know, we need to, you know, of course we need to do a bit of that, but, but ultimately, um, we have to have a process wrapped around it as well. Mm. I mean, if you go to any high street now, you just see so many coffee shops and there's so many people in there having, having business meetings. 
Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just absolutely crazy. How do you think that the high street is changing um, in the UK? I know that House of Fraser are, are closing down quite a few stores at the minute. What do you think is going to replace them going forward? Um, well, it's, it's essentially it's going to be the brands that have embraced digital and high street. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, the, the ultimate is sort of Apple where they have a really powerful retail experience and a powerful online experience. Um, but I see a lot of smaller brands and smaller businesses who get this right as well, that they're very good at, they're very good at being digital and being, um, and being uh, a physical location as well. Mm. Um, so it's, it's about, I don't think the word online or offline is actually a useful terminology anymore. I don't think we delineate as humans going about our day. I don't think we delineate between am I online or offline? You know, if you're sitting in the back of an Uber car traveling around London and you're sitting on your phone, you know, messaging someone on Twitter, are you online or are you offline? You know, you're mm. essentially just in a, you're just in a car on your phone. You're not, um, you're not online or offline. So yeah. it's, it's the brands that have completely blurred the line between on, online and offline and they just create one seamless experience in the eyes of the client um, that do very well. You know, so, you know, the other day I was in the, you know, I was in a particular shop and they said, um, they said, uh, I can get that for you now or if you'd like, you can buy it on, buy it online and we can have it delivered to your house. And, um, and it was like kind of this really effortless experience. So I said, um, actually, I'd love to get it delivered to my house. I don't have to walk around with it all day. And they went, yeah, fantastic. And they just pulled up an iPad and just punched it in. And next thing you know, it's whizzing off to my house. And I'm discovering a product, discovering a product, uh, you know, in a shop and then ordering it on their iPad in the shop. Mm. I think that's the word, the key there is the word experience. I think it just seemed to be these companies that are creating experiences are are doing very very well um and they're seeing massive benefits so i just recently found out about, about a company called the void where they will they've got a pop-up in the minute uh, at the minute sorry in westfields and you basically are a stormtrooper and you put the vr headset on but you walk through a room and they've done it so well it's that, incredible isn't it oh my god and being a star wars geek anyway i'm like I'm desperate now to get down there and, and try it out. I think that these these experiences like that and the way that, that shops are doing that. I mean, I always think about, I was going to my local Waterstones when I need a new book to read and I go in there, find a book, but then buy it on Amazon. Mm, yeah. it's, it's just because I know that I've got a Kindle for a start and I can get it straight away mm. on the Kindle, or I'll order it to come to my house, and Amazon will be here tomorrow, and it'll be cheaper than Waterstones. Yeah. Um, and I was actually in, I was in New York in April, and there was an Amazon shop there, and it was so amazing, the experience of it, because they had the books, but then below every single book, they had a nice code, nice QR code, which I could pick up on my phone and get straight, get the book ordered and delivered to my house. Yeah, so look, Amazon's getting <laughs> Amazon's getting more and more into those physical, you know, those physical environments. Um, mm. Hence their purchase of uh, their purchase of um, uh, Whole Foods. Yeah, you know, it, it immediately gave them a footprint. Um, you know, a all over the world, a footprint, a distribution network for food that was already existing. I mean, they're just going to take over the world. We're probably going to be living in prime houses in uh, the not too distant future. 
Yeah, well, that's that's absolutely you know it's absolutely right. The um, you know the predecessor in the shopping you know the shopping centre predecessor was Sam Walton, hmm. who if um, Sam Walton were alive today, he'd be worth about three hundred and fifty billion. Um, uh, you know, it's split between his kids now, but um, but essentially, if you add up all the fortunes of the kids, it's about three hundred fifty billion. And to put that in perspective, uh, you know, Bill Gates is like ninety billion. Um, you know, and that's Microsoft. Uh, so, you know, I it wouldn't, it would not surprise me at all if, uh, in our lifetime we see, you know, Amazon become a trillion dollar company and, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, he may, he may have the company broken up, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him worth 300 and 400 billion as his mm. net worth. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, just picking up on the Bitcoin, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? I know it's one that divides opinion um, for most people. Uh, in which in which regard? What do you? Because for me, I think that Bitcoin, I think blockchain technology is incredible, and it will change the world. And I think we're only on the cusp of of its uses. And once we start to implement those uses, it will do very well. Um, I have a history of trading on Betfair, um, so I, I understand trends and I understand that. And I think at the minute, Bitcoin is getting so much publicity that people are buying it just of a fear of missing out. And yeah. it's almost devaluing what it can do. So I think we'll probably have a crash on Bitcoin and then might be the time to actually get involved in it. Because I think it's going... The system and the technology which it's built on is incredible and the payment mm. method and the way it's going to work is fantastic. I think it's just people are going on their Facebook and going, oh God, I've just bought Bitcoin and it's gone up 10%. Oh my God. And then other people are buying Bitcoin off the back of that. So it's just mm. inflating the price. So just be interesting to think to, to speak to you about your thoughts on on it as a whole. Yeah, so so a couple of thoughts. Um, number one, it's been around for ten years, and it's very it's hardly found a use case. So the technology <laughs> is theoretically brilliant. Um, you know, we all agree in theory, a distributed ledger technology is is a smart idea. Um, however, uh, no one's really found a use for it in in a decade. Um, other than other than buying and selling uh, drugs online. So <laughs> you know, the, the the kind of one. The one and only thing that it was really, really good for was, um, you know, scoring some LSD from an anonymous person on the other side of the world. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, we haven't seen any phenomenal kind of uh, use case. You know, given that, like, uh, a basic technology like swift transactions between banks, um, you know, scaled to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars within a few years, um, you know, Bitcoin's been a a massive letdown, a big flop um, when it comes to finding a, re a reason to exist other than for people to be excited by it. Um, mm. Now, what I will say is that the future of currency is digital. Um, on average, every 40 or so years, we change the nature of money as a society. So um, you know, if we go back to the early 1900s, you had, um, you know, or the 1800s in the USA, you had lots and lots of different currencies. Pretty much every bank made their own currency. Lots of, um, you know, building societies had their own currency and there were something like 3,000 currencies and then they emerged, merged them into a federal currency, the greenback, which was 100% uh, backed by gold in Fort Knox. Then they went on to fractional reserve banking. Um, then they went onto the fiat system of banking. Um, 
you know, so we actually every about every forty years we completely change the nature of money. Um, so we're actually due for a change, you know. So the last the last change was sort of like in the set, late uh, mid seventies, I think it was, um, where we had um, where we had fiat currency, and fiat currency essentially is the issuing of currency um, that is federally. Um, Legislated that that the currency can be redeemed against taxes, so um, ultimately you're creating something that has value because it settles your tax debt, mm. and that has been a really good uh, for forty years. That's been a really good way to give currency a a fundamental backing. Um, essentially, the reason it's valuable is because it settles your debt to government. Mm. Um, uh, and that's why we, you know, that's why we all trust the uh, trust in that particular system however um when now after you know multiple rounds of quantitative easing that have pumped money into the economy we're now sitting there going "Uh oh this currency seems to have lost all of its value and a lot of people are losing trust in it um so the future the future has to be some sort of a digital currency in, in the world that we're living in no one really cares about geography anymore no one cares about the you know the british pound or the us dollar People want to just be able to trade with anyone all over the world. So the company that's best placed to create a currency that's backed by something would be Facebook. Um, so Facebook uh, has 2 billion users every single month um, from all over the world. Uh, they have a, a business built on advertising clicks, and it's a universally understood uh, value. So if you created a, a, a Facebook currency that was redeemable for advertising clicks, um, you would actually have a very stable currency mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, you can use distributed ledger technology built into Facebook in order to have a Facebook coin. Um, and very rapidly, you'd have Facebook coins become, you know, the, the number one means of exchange in the world because, you know, if I can, if I can pay my staff in Facebook coin um, and they're in the Philippines or they're in uh, Australia or in New Zealand or in Singapore, and everyone's trading on the same currency, um, you know, essentially that, that, you know, that becomes a very easy thing, especially if I can just go onto their Facebook profile and pay them. Um, mm. So I think Facebook's going to launch a, um, a currency. I think uh, Google will be very quick to compete and come up with a currency backed by advertising as well. Mm. Um, of course, you'll have uh, Amazon come in and probably create a uh, some sort of currency backed by content um, mm. or, 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 you know, Amazon Prime subscription or something like that. Um, and uh, and then Apple will come up with something as well. Um, and then you probably have, uh, I, you know, I kind of imagine that Netflix will merge with Spotify and they'll have something as well. But mm. I think the, the future of currency will be, um, I think I think governments. If you look at if if you look at governments um, in the last thousand years, they're all built around land and geography and protecting protecting essentially a, a chunk of land. Yeah. Um, but, but as land becomes less and less relevant in a digital economy, um, essentially governments will cease to be pow as powerful as they are today, and the companies that are digital companies will become the new land. And yes. you'll you'll see you'll see those giant kingdoms doing all the things that governments do. So you'll see them get into healthcare, into security and protection of the citizens. Um, you'll see them get into um, uh, space programs. 
you know, all the things that governments have historically done, uh, the larger companies will now start doing. And, you know, over the course of 20, 30, 40 years, we'll actually start merging into uh, that these huge companies will have more of a look and feel like a government than a, um, than a, uh, than a company. And, uh, and what will happen is federal governments will sort of become less powerful than city governments. So London City Council will become, or the London Council, London as a, as a city government, will be more relevant uh, and more interesting than uh, the, you know, the Houses of Commons type thing. Mm, I think that's, I completely agree with you. I think that's the way that, that it's going to go. Um, but as, as for Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin and all the currencies that are kind of coming out at the moment, I, I, I honestly think they'll be like .com one. Um, you know, yes. take that or leave that, um, yeah. you know, which means that one or two of them will emerge. You know, yes. Google and Amazon was .com one. Um, so there'll be a couple that, that emerge. But don't, you know, also don't forget that uh, Google was the 29th search engine. Amazon was one of hundreds of e-commerce platforms. Um, so it's, I'm not sure which one will emerge as a as a um, sure bet. I know one or two of them will emerge, but ultimately, I think um, Facebook will emerge as the as the as the main currency. Hmm. And you can see that you can see that as well. And talking about social media, uh, what are your thoughts on Twitter? Because I I really really like Twitter, and I found that I've started to use Twitter now more for business and to connect with people and actually actually connect with them because linkedin i absolutely hate uh, and i'm starting mm-hmm. to use i'm starting to use twitter a lot more um mm. for connect actual actual connection with people yeah i love twitter as well um it's it's one of my most fav- favorite fun platforms uh, the few things i love about it is it's a great listening platform any topic that you want to know about and who's on it and who's talking about it um you know you can do a, a few quick searches and suddenly like a search engine for conversations um you know so it just immediately brings that up and allows you to get tapped into niche little conversations that could be happening between thousands of people who don't even know each other Mm -hmm. Um, so i i i I love that the other thing i love about twitter is that it limited limits how many characters you can use um i hate lengthy emails why can't we just (laughs) get into the habit of just you know say what you need to say in a sentence or two um you know, uh, and uh, and let, you know, we, you know, you don't need to have a, a ten paragraph email in most cases. Um, what I love about Twitter is that people can't write me a lengthy email. They can basically say, "Here's what I'd like to do," um, and because the platform is the one, the bad guy who's limiting it, um, you know, they can be punchy without being abrupt or rude or being taken mm. as abrupt or rude, and and it works for everyone. Get you know, get your thought across in a tweet. Yeah, is. Uh, is brilliant. I love it as well, and I and for that for that reason, <laughs> it's it's to the point. It's straight to the point, and off we go. So I've come to the point in the podcast now where I always ask, coming towards the end now, I always ask three questions to everybody who comes on the podcast. So the first one is, when you think of the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind, and why? Oh wow, great question. Um, a mentor of mine is a guy called Paul Dunn. Um, Paul has built and sold uh, several great companies that were companies that um, uh, are lots of fun. Um, he's in his late seventies. He's got more energy than most twenty-two-year-olds. Um, 
he he bounds around the world effortlessly traveling to different things and attending conferences he dresses cool um and he now runs a company called buy one give one which has helped over 100 million giving transactions to take place um and you know he for all of those reasons he he comes to mind when when i think of someone who's who's successful um uh and yeah so that would be that would be who comes to mind that's a good one. I like it when people tell me people that I've never heard of as well. So then I have to go and check them out, learn a little bit more about them. Number two is what is the book that has had the biggest impact on you? Well, that's an easy one. Um, the book that has the biggest impact on everyone is the one you write, not one that you read. Um, so I've read so many wonderful books and I've got all sorts of great favorites, but ultimately none of them have changed my life, even a fraction compared to, key person of influence you know which was the first book i wrote um when i sat down and wrote a book and released a book um you know suddenly my brand went through the roof i'm connecting with people all over the world i'm positioned as an authority in my industry all of those sorts of things um i really want to encourage anyone listening stop reading more books and start writing a book um Mm. stop stop listening to more podcasts create your own podcast um you know stop attending events host an event um, so the, it's the movement from creation to con, uh, from consumption to creation that has the biggest impact on your life. And for me, the book that's had the biggest impact is is the ones that I've written. Mm. That's a very good answer and a very good point as well about creating your own. I know from from doing this podcast, I've had conversations with people that I probably never would have been able to have conversations with if I hadn't had a podcast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and I've learned so much in such a short space of time in those in those podcasts it's been incredible so my last question before i let you go is what is the worst advice you see or hear in the the business the marketing world oh the worst advice um uh probably passive income uh so passive income would to me be the worst advice i've ever ever hear or see that would uh, that, that would be the most common one I like you a lot. I hear that one all the time. Oh, I just really want passive income, and I'm like, how is how is any income passive? Yeah, well, there's a few issues with passive income. Number one, by by definition, you're trying to earn something from something you don't want to be doing, um, which is a stupid idea in the first place. Because if you don't want to be doing it, don't do it. Um, yes. So if you're if you're saying I want passive income from property, basically means I don't like property. <laughs> um, yes. I want passive income from shares. I don't like shares um, because otherwise you you wouldn't want passive income from it. Um, yes. The the next thing is is that uh, you know essentially passive income grounds you in self interest. So you're essentially you're essentially the main focus of your pursuit is is purely what you're going to get from it. Um, which doesn't work you know you if you're grounded in self-interest people that you know discover your self-interest and declaring self-interest you know to everyone who you meet is is just a ridiculous idea as well you know no one cares that you want passive income um and then ultimately there is no such thing as passive income everything requires um work everything requires focus there's leverage um, which is a great concept um there's asset income which is a great concept um, there's empire income, which is a great concept. Empire income, you know, you build an empire that you care about, that you tend to, that you employ people, that you that you build. That's fabulous. Um, 
uh, asset income is that you actually uh, either acquire assets, develop assets, um, you know, and you manage those assets really well. Um, so all of these are good concepts. They're, they're mature adult concepts. Passive income is just a juvenile fantasy for people who don't actually want to be responsible for money. And, I, and it, oh, I love this. I lo- this is the best answer ever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I see so many, I see, especially in the property world, I see so many people and they say they talk about passive income from, from house shares, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, man, I've, I've got house shares and I know that they aren't It's not passive, passive. yeah. Yeah, you, there is always issues and, and it's, it's not passive. Um, and you've just absolutely hit the nail on the head. I am going to listen back to your answer and literally just play it on repeat until I can <laughs> say it word for word when someone asks me about it. Um, Very cool. Daniel, you have been an absolute legend. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Where, if people want to learn more about you, they want to, where's, where's your social media handles? What websites can they go to that you've got? Here's your chance to shout those out. Hello, are you still here? Oh, sorry. Uh, I think it just dropped out. Sorry, we're not a robot like there. Um, yeah. Can you hear me? Can you I hear can, me okay? I can hear you, yes. Um, okay, yeah, so it, it was just a Hello, are you back? Oh. I don't know what's sorry, happening Ryan. with that. No worries, are you still here? Oh, hello. Hello. I tell you what, I 